Apple has done something that was pretty inconvenient for developers, but it really secured their customers because it basically meant we saw a complete stop in all kernel level malware. You know, it just shows you it can be done. You're going to break some eggs in the process, and Microsoft has not done that yet. They have not broken those eggs yet. They're going to have to. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about Apple and Microsoft. And right out of the gate, I will tell you that today's episode is not about the never-ending brand war between Apple and Microsoft. Today's episode is instead about the security decisions made by two very different companies. And it's not necessarily which is better than the other, though, because today's episode is also about how security decisions are influenced by a company's users, its market share, and its top-performing business segments. But to arrive at that discussion, we first need to tell you a story. Earlier this month, a group of hackers was spotted using a set of malicious tools that are popular with online video game cheaters to actually hide their Windows-based malware from being detected. And if that sounds weird, it's because it is. All right, so first off, there are people who play video games online, and of those people, some of them cheat. But online cheating isn't what I thought it was based on my earlier days of playing Doom, right? Typing in a series of letters or numbers to get, say, all the weapons and keys needed to progress through a level. IDKFA, by the way. Online cheating today involves downloading things called drivers, And if you've never encountered a driver before, then I envy you, because it means you've never had to figure out how the hell to make your computer recognize a new printer. Plainly, drivers inform your device's operating system how to work with an external device, like a printer or a disk drive or a keyboard or a mouse or even a graphics card. Where this gets more interesting is that some drivers operate within the memory space of an operating system's kernel, which is sort of like the central hub for managing your system's resources, its processes, its security. It is sensitive, it is important, and it is highly critical. And because it is so critical, any kernel mode driver, right? So the drivers that are privileged enough to run in the same memory space as that kernel. Those drivers must be legitimate tools. They must be safe. And that safety, that legitimacy today comes from Microsoft's own review. But there is a loophole. Microsoft does allow kernel mode drivers to operate so long as the driver was approved separately before July 29th, 
2015, a cutoff date that Microsoft chose so that older software that had not been through Microsoft's own approval process now could still function with the release of Windows Vista. Now, what does that all add up to? It adds up to the fact that a video game hacker released two modern tools on GitHub that backdate drivers so that Windows lets them run without checking for Microsoft's modern review. And rather than using those tools to run video game cheats, right, a group of hackers use those tools instead to disguise malware. Ta-da! Now you know what a driver is. Now you know what a kernel is. And now you know why video games should be illegal. But what you should also know is that this loophole, right, of backdating something to make it appear legitimate, this loophole is well known. Microsoft knows about it. And that itself is frustrating because it means a company that runs the most popular desktop operating system on the planet just knows about a workaround to its own security rules, and it hasn't addressed it. Today, to help us understand Microsoft's inaction, why Apple does not suffer the same problems, and whether it's possible to say that one company's approach is better than the other, especially when considering outside factors, we're speaking with Thomas Reed, director of Core Tech here at Malwarebytes. Thomas, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, Thomas, we're happy to have you here. Um, I think it's been like two years since we last had you, maybe three. I don't know how long the show has been on. But again, we are really happy to have you back. And we have a lot to get into, right? It's a pretty complex story. I think that's the most complex intro we've ever had. Um, and so... <laughs> Apologies, listeners. That's where we have to start today. But let's just jump right into it. When I first learned about like this whole backdating driver loophole for Windows, it was because you shared the news with us, right? On like on Slack. And you said that this was a quote, great illustration of Apple versus Microsoft, end quote. Can you just expand on that? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, so the basic idea there is Apple and Microsoft have got some very different philosophies and very different business practices. And this kind of illustrates Microsoft's tendency to not deprecate things. Um, they have a lot of business customers. They have a lot of Customers that spend a lot of money that have very, very old systems. I mean, there are still systems in place that are running Windows XP. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Windows, I think they're not officially supporting XP anymore. Uh, right. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's correct. But yeah, they, they, they still do um, support a lot of really old systems. In contrast, Apple tends to drop things at the drop of a hat, so to speak. Um, they, they are not afraid to deprecate things. Uh, they are not afraid to piss off their developers and some of their business customers. I mean, obviously they don't wanna piss everybody off, but they're really not afraid to make some big changes and make some big waves in the interests of security or privacy for their customers. And sometimes, 
this works out really nicely and sometimes it doesn't <laughs> uh, just like Microsoft's strategy does for them. Do we have examples of this? Because when I hear something like that, like Apple makes these kinds of decisions, the things that come immediately to my mind are different because I'm not working on Apple security, right? So I'm thinking of like the way they change their products, like they get rid of the headphone jack, right? Like I remember that for me was a big deal. And they also, I remember when they got rid of disk drives in their laptops, they just said, hey, we're going to make this an external peripheral from now on. And it's one of those things where... I can't tell if they are clairvoyant, you know, and they're predicting the future or if they are paving the future and saying this is what it's going to be like because we're an enormous device maker and what we say kind of goes from then on. Those are the examples that I have of, hey, we're going to change something and it might piss off some customers, but we're just going to do it. Do we have examples of that kind of philosophy, but for security? Yeah, absolutely. So on uh, Mac systems, kernel level code was always the way that security software worked. So just like on in the Windows world, we had kernel extensions on Mac OS. They would run their code in the kernel, which is the lowest level of the operating system. And, you know, when you're running that kind of code, it can conflict with other kernel extensions. It can cause all kinds of problems. If there's a vulnerability in your code, then attackers can use that to attack your computer and get kernel level access, which is really incredibly bad. It's, it basically gives the attacker the ability to do anything that they want to your computer. Obviously, Apple was not real keen on kernel level code. Actually, Many years ago, they had deprecated the kernel-level APIs or application programming interfaces mm-hmm. that were used by security companies to create their protection products. And they just decided, up and decided in a beta of a new version of macOS, they're just going to eliminate those APIs entirely. They've been deprecated for years. They're like, okay, we're just going to get rid of them entirely. We are in the process of creating this new user-level security suite. So we're just going to drop this stuff. And developers weren't ready for that. I mean, it (laughs) sent us into a panic, if I'm being completely honest, because we weren't expecting that. And all of a sudden, we had to rewrite our drivers. And this new stuff that Apple was talking about that they were promising wasn't ready yet. And so we spent months trying to frantically figure out how we could rewrite our kernel level code without those APIs and still provide the same services. And we never figured it out, to be honest. The good news is Apple got under some pressure from a lot of developers and uh, put those back at the very last minute, very last beta of that version of macOS, they put them back. That's a really rare thing. Usually when Apple pulls something away, they never give it back. So that was a kind of an illustration of the problem, but also of the fact that sometimes Apple does reverse themselves. But that kind of thing can really alienate developers. It can cause a lot of problems for customers. 
it would have inconvenienced many, many people if that change had gone through. And Apple's often not afraid to do that. In this case, they changed it, but many, many other times they don't. For folks who may not understand what the ramifications of that would have been, can you explain really broadly what would have happened if they went through with that plan? And like you said, you couldn't have rewritten your kernel-level code. Is it just that, like, oh, Malwarebytes wouldn't work on Macs? Is it that simple? Basically, not entirely. (laughs) So we would still have been able to do things like scan the hard drive. Mm -hmm. But all of the real-time protections, so, you know, the stuff that when malware is trying to infect your device, the real-time protection sees some of these things happening and blocks them and prevents them from happening or can see files being written to the hard drive in real time and say, oh, I know that's bad. I'm going to kick it out before anything else can happen. I'm going to quarantine it. That kind of thing relied on kernel level code. And we had no way, nothing to replace that with. There are theoretically some ways that we could have quarantined files very quickly after they got written to disk, but we'd have absolutely no way to block things. So basically it would have been a situation where if malware was trying to infect your computer, we would just have to let it do so and then remove it after the fact, which is less effective. Yeah. Yeah. We always hear it's always better to prevent malware from actually launching than to remediate, the word is remediate, like you know, remove it after the fact. And yeah, this idea that like, oh, all we can do is remediation um, sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad it didn't happen. I wanted to go back to what we were talking about at the very intro, right? To better kind of contextualize this loophole in Windows security, because we got all this information right from Cisco's Talos group, a cybersecurity research group, And that research focused on these two open source tools that I mentioned, right? These tools that are predominantly popular with online gaming. But the issue, right, of like backdating a kernel mode driver is much broader than that, I think. And so what I'm just trying to understand here is how serious is this loophole? Because we just talked about how kernel level code is important and how if someone can abuse uh you know somebody that has access to the kernel that they can get complete control of your computer like it seems like it's super mission critical kind of stuff and so how serious is this loophole and have we seen other hackers take advantage of it in different ways in the past yeah i would say that this is a critical loophole there's an open freely available tool out there that can help people to create kernel level drivers for Windows that can take advantage of this. And so then they they can run freely without any of the controls that Microsoft has imposed on more modern drivers. That's huge. It's really a huge problem. And honestly, it's a little bit shocking that that loophole is still open uh, at this point in time. And I understand why Microsoft has done it, because this fits in with their general philosophy. They try not to deprecate things. They try not to pull things away from their business customers and their developers. 
but it's you know this really this is a loophole that is critically important that it be closed so in contrast apple years ago required that all kernel level code be not only reviewed by apple but you had to apply for the permission to even write it and sign it with your code signatures when we applied for that at malwarebytes it took I want to say two or three months to get approval on that. So there's an example of Apple has done something that was pretty inconvenient for developers, but it really secured their customers because it basically meant we saw a complete stop in all kernel level malware. We haven't seen kernel level malware, I don't know, at least a decade, uh, (laughs) if not more. You know, it just shows you it can be done. You're going to break some eggs in the process. And Microsoft has not done that yet. They have not broken those eggs yet. They're going to have to. Before I get into what the most obvious question is, and you kind of alluded to it here, right? That Microsoft isn't, they don't like deprecating things, pulling things back. I wanted to revisit this loophole, right? And I think it's interesting, like you said, we haven't had kernel level malware on Mac for about 10 years at least, that's a really long time. (laughs) That's a much longer time than I feel most people would assume for something that is, like we hear about this loophole today, like on the show, and it's the first time you're hearing about it, and then you hear, oh yeah, it hasn't been an issue for about 10 years on the other operating system. And that's significant, and that's really big. And so I also wanna ask like, has this been a problem again for Windows? Like, do are there like some attacks out there where it's just like, oh gosh, it's this thing again. Like, I can't believe it's this thing again and Windows is frustratingly not doing something about it. Do we have attacks that we can attribute to this? I'm less of an expert on the Windows malware than on the Mac malware, but I I would put money on the fact that 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 is the case, that there have been attacks that could potentially have been nipped in the bud like this by, by making some changes to the system. I do think that Microsoft has done some really good things, though. I do want to give them some credit. You know, Mm -hmm. they added a lot of really good security measures in the last decade or so. I just think this particular one is really egregious. Um, But yeah, there are some things that security-wise, Microsoft has done better than Apple on, I think. Other things that Apple has done better on. You know, in particular, I think with with Windows, having Windows Defender there and visible and configurable, accessible to the user, and it tells the user what's going on, that's really great. You know, it's basically like free antivirus software. It does the basics. Mm -hmm. Are there things that can do better? Sure, but it does the basics, and it's telling the user what's going on. Whereas on Apple's side of the house... (laughs) There is some rudimentary anti-malware built into the system, but you don't have any idea what's going on. Even even security analysts like myself, we don't really fully understand how any of that works. We could not tell you. Like I, I have a Mac here that has a ton of malware on it. I couldn't tell if macOS has quarantined some of that malware because it just deletes it silently. 
And so I think I think that Microsoft has really got the edge on Apple there. They've provided a much better customer experience, whereas Apple is sort of trying to say, well, you know, we're just going to brush this under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. We cleaned it up and we're not going to tell you about it. I hate knowing that what feels like Apple's design ideology for its consumer products, like the way that iOS is designed, the way that iPad OS is designed to almost take you out of the machine as much as possible. I hate knowing that that's almost reflected also in their security decisions, because it feels like those two things shouldn't be inspired by the same like central node. Like there's such a problem with modern devices pushing people out of understanding the device that this is a wild thing. Apparently, Generation Z and younger, they uh, have a real difficulty understanding files and like directories because they don't encounter them in their day-to-day lives on their phones. And that I really dislike. I just kind of hate it. I hate that every single new iteration of Mac OS is also trying to do the same thing. Like it's trying to, they're trying to bridge like the iPad experience and the desktop experience. And I don't think those are the same experience. And so all this is to say, it's very frustrating to know that even in like things like security, it's a bit of a black box because it feels like it shouldn't be. I think we both come from a world where like information and transparency to that information is extraordinarily valuable to users. And to hear that it's also happening with security decisions and actual like, you know, has it gotten rid of the malware on that machine? I don't know. Um, we should know. We should know those things. Yeah. And even whether there was malware on the machine, like the user doesn't even know. So their information could have been stolen and macOS might have quarantined, you know, deleted the malware, but the user doesn't know. They have no idea. They don't have any idea that maybe their information is floating around out there and they don't even know that they got infected, so they don't have any idea that they should start thinking about changing behavior to prevent that. So, problem. <laughs> yeah, that's like a that's like a pretty big problem. I didn't know that. So, minus points for Apple. Um, but <laughs> to focus again on this loophole and Microsoft, the question I have, you know, the, actually the biggest question I had uh, when just learning about this, and like I said again, you kind of alluded to it. Why hasn't Microsoft fixed it? Like, is it as simple as there are still so many people running older versions of Windows so they can't piss off that many people? Or is it that plus other things? Why hasn't Microsoft addressed this? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think nobody other than Microsoft could truly answer, but I think we speculate. My theory is that it seems likely that Microsoft has simply decided in the past, and I suspect this might change now, but in the past, they have simply let sleeping dogs lie. So, you know, they haven't seen any significant problems arising from this. You know, maybe a little bit of malware here and there. You know, they probably were trying to address that malware with Defender and, you know, trying not to make a change here that would break a whole bunch of older systems. But I think they're going to be forced to take some action on it now, now that this has gotten such attention in the press and has led to some very bad outcomes. So I I would be surprised if we don't see this change soon. 
But yeah, I think it's really just sort of been a let sleeping dogs lie sort of thing. Um, could also have some relation to, you know, resources. You know, maybe they did not want to devote resources to fixing this. They figured, you know, it's not causing us any major problems right now. So, you know, we all know how that works in the software industry. You know, if it's <laughs> causing problems, don't fix it, which... <laughs> I mean, there's some admirable applications of that philosophy, but generally speaking, not in security. So, <laughs> I also want to be cautious here when we're like speaking about like this is what Microsoft does and this is what Apple does, right? Like that <laughs> we don't equate not addressing this issue, not fixing this issue with not taking security seriously because as you said already right like microsoft has defender and they have this visibility and transparency that apple doesn't and so it isn't like oh microsoft just doesn't take security seriously it's never that kind of bland overbroad statement but my related question then is if windows hasn't fixed this why could apple fix it so long ago I think a, a big part of that has to do with the fact that Apple owns the entire ecosystem. So you cannot run macOS on anything but Apple hardware. And that means that there really, in general, are fewer drivers needed. So even before Apple started tightening down on kernel extensions, we really didn't see that many. They were mostly prevalent with security software, which really needed that kernel level access in order to sort of get underneath the malware, you know, by which I mean it, it has the power to get rid of malware no matter what, because it's running at a lower level than the malware and there's nothing the malware can do to stop it. Some of the other applications were, you know, some very specialized hardware devices you didn't really see kernel level drivers used for things like printers or scanners or that sort of thing. So, you know, because the hardware and the, the OS were so tightly integrated, Apple didn't have to worry about, oh, this, you know, Mac OS is running on this weird hardware that's, you know, built by some little company that's, you know, selling it cheap and undercutting the competition. They didn't have to worry about that, so they could really build a lot of it into the system, and developers didn't need much kernel access. So I think that's where the part of the problem is, is that you know because Microsoft has such a diversity of hardware that Windows runs on, they can't solve every for every single possible scenario, and means there's a little bit more need for kernel-level code. Is there... Also something happening here with just Apple and Microsoft's varying customer base because Apple, right, it's just so consumer focused and Microsoft is, I, I don't think there's any business over a certain number of employees that doesn't run on Windows. And I think that the places that I know that are Mac only businesses are architecture firms that still have Macs that can boot in Windows if they need to for certain types of software, um, and maybe like design shops that are based entirely off of using Illustrator and the Adobe suite. But I'd say predominantly, right? Like 
every hospital runs on Windows. Too many hospitals run on Windows XP, I think. Um, (laughs) Every enormous thing out there, every government, um, they all run on Windows. And so I wonder, does that play a role here in whether Apple can make certain security decisions that Windows can't? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I think that you are generally right there. I do know of some organizations that have large numbers of Macs, like tens of thousands, but those are relatively few and far between. And I I think that the core difference here, and this is my observation, you know, so anybody can feel free to disagree, but my observation is that Microsoft in general kind of sucks at consumers. So, you know, (laughs) average Joe buying Windows machine, it's not a great user experience a lot of the time. However, Microsoft excels at their enterprise business. They excel at working with business customers and helping them with their needs and also with helping their developers to fill those needs. Um, They're very good at that. Apple, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite. They are really good at consumer. They build all of their devices with the consumer firmly in mind. They, you know, really excel at that. But when it comes to business and selling Mac OS and and Mac hardware in business environments, Apple kind of sucks. They've gotten better over the years. I have to give it to them. They are improving. They've really been giving that a lot more focus in recent years because I believe that they recognize that they have sucked at it in the past. (laughs) But they really just still haven't caught up with Microsoft in that regard. And that difference really shows in the way that they approach problems. You know, with a consumer, you don't have all this legacy stuff that you have to worry about. You know, a consumer, they're most likely going to buy a computer. They may never update the operating system on it. I know a ton of people have Macs that they've never once updated the system. <laughs> oh, man. And they never update any of their software either. So, like, they're just running this closed environment almost that they don't ever have to worry about what Apple's changing because it doesn't affect them. Whereas in a business, you know, if, if Microsoft changes something and, you know, you've got a patch, you know, you've got patch Tuesday and you've got to patch all of your stuff and Microsoft changed something and suddenly you have to choose between do I secure my Windows devices or do I take away my ability to interact with these specialized devices that we, you know, you've got in your company that you can't work with if you install the update. So it's a real fine balance there for for Microsoft to pull things away, as we've said, you know, take things away from their users and their business customers and their developers. Yeah, I in like contextualizing, you know, pulling things away. One of our analysts here at Malwarebytes uh, one time told me that he was helping a hospital deal with like a ransomware attack. And that they had found, I think, like an old, like an older X-ray imaging machine that was running an outdated version of Windows, and that 
they knew that it was outdated. Like they knew it was a no longer supported version of Windows. And they said like, this is what we have to do because the newer version just doesn't work with this piece of equipment, this physical piece of equipment. And we can't just get rid of an x-ray machine. Like we use this every day. And so this idea of pulling away, it is something where it's like, that would be pulled away. That would be deprecated. Like an x-ray machine would be deprecated, which is insane. That's something that Apple's never had to think about that, I think, in its entire life, you know, Um, which seems pretty cushy. Um, (laughs) Similarly, right, is there something then that Apple, like, can't or won't do as easily as Microsoft? Again, because of its its user base, because of its uh, focus on consumer as opposed to enterprise. Yeah, um, I think... Apple is improving on that. I, I don't think that there's anything that they can't do necessarily, but there are some things that they don't like to do. And in the security space, one of those things happens to be acknowledging the existence of malware. <laughs> and that really kind of handicaps Apple in some aspects. You know, I, I sometimes I feel like if they were to just say, yeah, okay, Malware exists. We're doing X, Y, and Z about it. They would do a lot better in some aspects of their business, but they don't. And I I know that they have some really smart people working on that, working on their handling of malware, working to understand what malware there is. But, you know, the same people exist at Microsoft, but they're much more communicative. In fact, you'll, you'll often see security people at Microsoft publishing information about Mac malware, you will never see something coming out of Apple. You know, Microsoft will also publish stuff about Windows malware, but it's kind of amusing that Microsoft publishes more about Mac malware than Apple has (laughs) ever published in their existence. (laughs) (laughs) It's again that like, that idea that I can't believe that Apple secrecy, you know, like trademark mm-hmm. secrecy, like is also, it trickles down into the way they speak about security, the way they speak about malware. Because again, there should be departments of any company that even if your company is in stealth mode or something like that, like even if it's supposed to be the most secret thing ever and there's embargoes and all this, there should be parts of a company that are not touched by that. Because we do have, like, we have an agreement that publishing threat intelligence is good for people. And again, it's just kind of frustrating to see that it still happens for an enormous company that is very mature. And I don't know, the secrecy today feels so boring. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to put it. (laughs) Like, you guys have done it for a really long time. Like, we don't, like, you don't have to be that company anymore. It doesn't matter. The iPhone 15 is going to look like the iPhone 14. No one cares. You know, there's nothing secretive about the next Apple Watch. It's going to look like the one we have today and it's going to have minor improvements. The most secretive thing they've done is the, is the AR headset, right? That came out. And even then, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we knew about it. It was happening. So again, it's just this kind of thing like, I don't know, it feels so mid 2000s. Um, mm-hmm. And it's time to, I feel like it's time to move away from that, but they're not going to listen to us. Who cares? Um, <laughs> I want to uh, bring it back here um, again to just like 
the security world and the decisions that are made because of consumers and because of enterprises and because of users and market segments. And so my question is just really broadly here, has security just always been this way? Like, are we always hampered by what we can feasibly accomplish with our users or our developer community? I think so, yeah. It's always a struggle in the security industry. You know, there are always problems. There's no way to entirely fix all security problems. That's like saying that you can build a car and you can build a car that nobody can get into no matter what tools they use. It's just not possible. It's the same with computer security. You know, we can, we, we do the best we can, but there's, there's always that struggle. You know, it's us against the bad guys. And sometimes the bad guys win, sometimes we win. It's always been a problem and it's always going to be a problem. I think it's important that you say that right there, right? Like it's always going to be a problem because I wanted to close out the show with, is it a problem that should be fixed? Like, is it enough of a thing that we should devote some person hours to thinking, how do we, how do we solve this impossible task? Or do we just accept, eh, you know, it's just always going to be that way. Is it even a problem to fix, which feels very on point for an episode about why is Windows not addressing a like, why are they saying, is this a problem to fix? Is this broader security environment, is it even something that, that should be addressed, handled? Yeah, I don't know if there is a true solution to the problem. I don't know if there ever can be, but I think it is really critically important today more than ever that we do the best that we can to solve it to the absolute best of our abilities. I mean, we are in a world where we have so much infrastructure controlled by computers, your water, your electricity, your food supply, you know, distribution of, of food, distribution of all kinds of things. All of this is, you know, has a heavy reliance on technology and that technology is often vulnerable. And that's a scary thought. So I, I think it's critically important in this day and age that we do better. I don't think we can ever get it perfect. I think we need to try, we need to do our best, but I don't think it's ever going to be possible. What a, a, a <laughs> resounding note to end the podcast. A little bit of a down. <laughs> you know, it's so many of our episodes end that way. You know, um, well, you know, it's, that's what's going to happen. When you're talking about problems, it is so rare that we say, yeah, we found the solution and we're doing it and everything's better. It just never, we never get there. And so uh, thank you everyone for um, always sticking with us on the Downer podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thomas, thank you again so much for coming on today's show and talking about these things and particularly talking about them away from, again, I think this like brand identity war. Um, I think it's important that we contextualize and have like real examples for what these companies do differently because they do things differently, but they also do them differently because of who uses them. So again, Thomas, thank you again for coming on today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. 
to our listeners. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from Unminus.com. Today's show has been edited by our podcast consultant, Eric Johnson, at lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks.